From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to a special holiday edition of Washington Watch. This is a time of year when we get the opportunity to kind of step back from the daily onslaught of news and take a deeper look at some of the critical issues. And that's exactly what we're going to do today as we explore the manifestations of what has become over the last year almost a household term, critical race theory, or CRT. Now, CRT is really the engine of the woke movement in America. Now, it seems that all of a sudden it has appeared in every aspect of American life. It's in politics and government. It's at the center of a raging debate in public education. CRT and its woke agenda are dominating corporate America. It has found its way into sports and entertainment. It's even making its way into the church. Today, we're going to spend the entire program on CRT. What is it? Where did it come from? In just a moment, I'm going to be joined by Professor Owen Strand, who um, has written, really, I think, a book for believers, for Christians on CRT. It's titled Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. All right, you know the website. It's TonyPerkins.com. If uh, you happen to miss any of this program, uh, you can find it all archived later at TonyPerkins.com. In fact, I would encourage you, I think this program is going to be so good, I'm going to encourage you at the outset to uh, to write that down, TonyPerkins.com, because I think you're going to want to share this program with your friends. Uh, and if you're part of a local church, which I certainly hope you are, I would encourage you to share it with your pastor, because I think you're going to find some very important tools in today's program. It's going to be very insightful and I think very helpful. Now, while you may have just heard about critical race theory, it is not new. It formally goes back to the 1980s with Kimberly Williams Crenshaw, a law professor at UCLA School of Law and Columbia Law School. She coined the term, but it goes back even further as a concept to the 1960s and 70s with Harvard Law Professor Derek Bell, who died in 2011. So what is CRT? Well, according to a recent New York Times article that interviewed Professor, Professor Crenshaw, I quote, CRT is an expansive academic framework that argues that historical patterns of racism are ingrained in law and other modern institutions. The theory says that racism is a systemic problem, not only a matter of individual bigotry, end quote. Well, a recently passed law banning the teaching of critical race theory in public schools in North Dakota defined CRT as, quote, the theory that racism is not merely the product of learned individual bias or prejudice, but that racism is systemically embedded in American society and the American legal system to facilitate racial inequality, end quote. So, why are we now just seeing this explosive debate over CRT? Not because it is new, but because we are just now seeing the fruits of the seeds planted in our universities and in some cases our seminaries 30 to 40 years ago. What was a theory in the university has become a framework for the classroom. But is that a problem? Does CRT undermine America's future? economically and socially? Is it a reflection of the gospel or does it seek to replace the gospel and biblical truth? How can Bible-believing Christians identify 
expose and defend against CRT and the whole wokeness agenda. Well, to help us answer those questions and more is FRC's own Owen Strand. Uh, He is a senior fellow at our Center for Biblical Worldview. Owen currently serves as a a provost and research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. He is the author of Christianity and Wokeness, as I mentioned, how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel and the way to stop it. Owen, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Tony. Great to be back with you. All right, let's start uh, in, in, you know, I kind of laid a little bit of the foundation. Fill in any of the missing pieces as we define the terms wokeness, critical race theory, and and what it presents to society today. Well, that was a fantastic introduction that you gave earlier, uh, really in a nutshell form. The, The only thing I would add in terms of history, not something that was missing, But uh, I would note that critical race theory comes out of what is called critical theory, which is really developed in Europe in the mid-20th century and is the idea that broader European culture contained all sorts of problematic hegemony with different majority groups uh, having power over minority groups. And so those majority groups needing to be overthrown uh, by a critical study of society such that uh, transformation and liberation would come. And that system was itself built off of Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels's critique of Western society. In 1871, uh, Marx and Engels released the Communist Manifesto, and in it they argue that in structural terms, here is this framework again, the rich basically oppress the poor. And so to be a member of the wealthy of society is to be an oppressor and to be a a member of the poor class of society is to be oppressed. And critical theory picks that up and includes it prominently in its critique. And critical race theorists have used that paradigm in what we call a neo-Marxist way to argue that if you're a racial minority, you're an oppressed person. And if you're in the if you're in the racial majority, you are, in fact, whether you know it or not, whether you do this consciously, as you alluded to, you are an oppressor. And so that's really where the system is built from. And it's very significant indeed, as we can already see. Well, if that's the foundations of critical race theory, borrowing from Marxism, that would, on its face, question its compatibility with our system of government here in America. It certainly would. And it was intended to do exactly that. Uh, Marx was not trying to play nice uh, with Western uh, freedom and, and, and free government and republics and the sorts of things that you and I and, and tons of folks out there who would support FRC would stand for and, and even see grounded in Scripture. Uh, Marx is actually trying to take down the fundamental institutions of Western society. He wasn't just critiquing what he called capitalism and capitalist society and capitalist government. He was also critiquing in scorching terms the so-called traditional family, the nuclear family. And he was trying to argue that those sorts of structures really did oppress people. If you want to read some hot prose in these cold winter days, pick up Marx and Engels on the traditional family. You'll be shocked. Lots of people think that Marx really was only about trying to make, you know, uh, economics slightly more fair. No, Marx was not. Uh, Marx and Engels were really trying to significantly undermine 
the core institutions uh, of Western civilization. And honestly, Tony, it's really sad to say this, but in their day, in the 20th century, and even into the current day through this latest form of their ideology, they've succeeded in substantial in substantial fashion. So we've got our work cut out for us today in opposing this vision. So it was it was both a family that they opposed and organized religion as a as a means of uh, framework and worldview for for the people. But you write about this in your book because as critical race theory has manifested manifested itself in various aspects of our political discourse, uh, the Black Lives Matter borrow very heavily. In fact, uh, their website before it was scrubbed had a lot of references to their Marxist orientation. That's exactly right. And all these things hold together because if you're trying to take down Christianity in whatever form, the best place to target to to accomplish that is to go after the family. The family is, of course, the first institution. It's created in Genesis 2. And so we know that God brings together one man and one woman in covenantal marriage. And that's the bedrock of everything that follows. So Marx and Engels are trying to attack these different institutions of Western civilization. And in doing so, uh, they were very successful in their day. Black Lives Matter in recent years, yes, absolutely has picked up that torch. Black Lives Matter is, is treated in soft form today, bathed in a soft glow, as if it is merely a movement uh, for better racial engagement. But in reality, Black Lives Matter, as its earlier platform showed, is very radical indeed. And its strongest target, actually, right alongside so-called white supremacy, which we're talking about here, is actually the biblical vision of the family. Black Lives Matter absolutely burns to ash uh, the vision of the family that that Christians would hold and, and even many people outside of uh, Christianity would hold and treats the nuclear family as if it is something basically evil. And then it seeks to platform so-called sexual minorities. So, Tony, this isn't a one-sided problem or, or foe that we're up against. It's really multidimensional. And when you start to get a, a grip on how far-reaching this critique of the West is, you realize it is really an alternate ideology, e- even a, a worldview that opposes uh, what we stand for as Christians. So uh, the worldview, let's use that term for a moment because it really is a worldview and it is more of a neo-paganism worldview as you outline in your book. It's, it is, it is not compatible with biblical Christianity, even though there are those that have, I would argue some successfully brought this into the church. In fact, as I was uh, just doing some research preparing for this, I was Googling some stuff and uh, one of the uh, the first websites, it was a paid ad, of course, but it was a, co- a group called Faithful Citizens Network. And I, I, I think I know where the funding of this comes from, and it's from the left, and they have mostly left connections, but a Christian's response to critical race theory. And they, they go through how, well, this really just prompts us to think through the gospel as we should. And mm-hmm. there there certainly are elements when we talk about racism the scripture speaks to these things and we need to address them from a biblical perspective they're trying to address the same issues but from a completely different biblical uh, completely different worldview which is going to lead us into the opposite direction 
That's exactly right. And that's the place you have to take this discussion. You have to recognize what the roots are of critical race theory, intersectionality, and wokeness. You have to know that this system really is not based on a Christian understanding of anything. It is based on a secular understanding of the world. We have been told now for roughly five years in some form in evangelical circles and and certainly many others beyond uh, evangelicalism that critical race theory, wokeness and intersectionality are totally consonant with the Western worldview that we learned growing up. The way critical race theory is being packaged and sold today to school districts is exactly along those lines, not so much in a religious sense. But, hey, this is just a way for uh, for us to engage racism in America's past and, and handle it fairly and honestly. That is not remotely what critical race theory represents. Critical race theory is not an honest reckoning with the American past. Critical race theory offers a really poisonous understanding of the American past in which racism is our original sin. Right. And it supplants the gospel's message in many ways, because if if we as a church truly pursue the teachings of Scripture, we bring about unity. In fact, I think that's what we've seen in times past in our country. This is driving us further from unity and f- leaving us more fractured. We're going to talk about on the other side of the break, we're going to talk more about how this lines up with the elements of, uh, of uh, key elements of Scripture. Folks, uh, you're listening to a special holiday edition of Washington Watch. Owen Strand, professor, is uh, with me, and we're going to continue this conversation on the other side of the break. So don't go away. We're coming right back with more Washington Watch. We often hear that religious liberty is something we must protect. But what is it? Simply put, it is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. So why should people care about protecting religious liberty, both domestically and internationally? At Family Research Council, we believe that fighting for religious liberty is essential because it is an inherent human right that all governments have a responsibility to protect. Unfortunately, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a terrible reality around the world, yet so often the media turns a blind eye while attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. As Christians, we look to Scripture as our authority, and in it we have a clear calling from God to pray and care for the persecuted. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. Learn more about what you can do to help the persecuted by accessing Family Research Council's latest resources on religious liberty at frc.org slash religious liberty. What do abortion, pornography, and human trafficking have in common? They all violate human dignity and worth, treating people as objects to be bought, sold, and discarded. Here at Family Research Council, we believe that every person is made in the image of God and has inherent dignity and worth. FRC's Center for Human Dignity exists to give a voice to the voiceless by providing helpful resources that address abortion, human trafficking, pornography, and more. To learn more, visit frc.org life. In a culture of gender confusion, there aren't many examples of godly manhood, but men need a model of leadership they can follow. Stand Courageous Men's Ministry seeks to help men develop a strong biblical character, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. Find an event near you at StandCourageous.com. 
Here at FRC, we stand. We love to stand. We can't stop standing. We love standing so much, we actually removed all the chairs, couches, and stools from our premises. But that wasn't enough for us. We got USA-made 15-ounce stand mugs. So that if we ever forget what to do, we're reminded by the USA-made ceramic always close at hand. Whether drinking a morning brew, sipping afternoon tea, or chowing down on dinner, everything served in a stand mug just pairs oh so well. Does a conscience that stands for faith, family, and freedom ever truly go thirsty? Get your stand mug at TonyPerkins.com. And, as always, keep standing. Welcome back to this holiday edition of Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us. And uh, joining me is FRC Owen Strand. He is a uh, biblical fellow at the Center for Biblical Worldview here at the Family Research Council. He's also a research professor of theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. He is the author of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel, and the way to stop it. Owen, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. Now, we were just getting into the biblical components of this, and I, I really want to do kind of a comparison of some of the key elements of biblical Christianity to what CRT uh, promotes. But first, I, I want to go back and get a definition because we're using, you know, we've got wokeness, we've got uh, you know critical race theory, which I think we've defined, but intersectionality is a, another term that is, really comes from critical race theory. Define that for our our listeners. Intersectionality means that there are different minority groups that have been oppressed in the kind of neo-Marxist framework that we discussed earlier, and their interests intersect in the form of especially personal identity. So if you are a racial minority and a sexual minority, and let's say a weight-based minority, so let's say you're a a black female uh, overweight person, these are not my categories, I did not make these up, don't send me the email, um, then you are triply intersectional. That means you have been thrice wronged in terms of your identity. You're an oppressed person. And intersectionality goes even further than that and argues that as a person who has been uh, wronged and oppressed, you have way more right to speak than individuals who have majority culture identities. So, Tony, you and me, unfortunately, I'm sorry to tell you this, but as straight white men, for example, Christian men in particular, we need to step back and and let those who have strongly intersectional identities lead out in culture and society. So that's what what intersectionality argues uh, for. And then wokeness, I'll just add this as well quickly, means that you're awake to the nature of systemic injustice and systemic racism in America. That's a quick definition of it. These two ideologies work hand in glove with critical race theory. They're all slightly different, and yet they very much entwine in pushing a kind of uh, poisonous worldview on our children, our college students, and many sectors of our culture. Yeah, and just a side note on the uh, intersectionality. Um, I mean, I've seen that in in play. Even I have a daughter that's in law school, and and they 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 they're graded, they're ranked 
and that those that have more uh, reasons to be uh, marginalized or to be seen as suppressed, they get to speak first. Uh, and mm-hmm. so if you're uh, if you're a white male, as you said, you're, you're at the back of the class. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's just it's, it's just it's interesting. Okay, so this is a good jumping off point with the gospel, because I, I really want to focus uh, for the remainder of our program here. I, I do want to get in for a moment and, and a little bit. We'll talk about the economic implications here. But but I really want to focus on this from a biblical perspective, because we in our Center for Biblical Worldview, we want to help Christians think through these issues from a biblical worldview, a biblical construct of how do we analyze these things according to Scripture. So let's start with this issue of intersectionality, where we're dividing people by these various classes. And I was just reading in uh, in John chapter 10, where Jesus was talking about being the good shepherd. And, and in that chapter, he says, you know, my sheep hear my voice. And he said, and I'm about to call in those from another flock. I, I'm about to call in, and this is when he was talking about Jews and Gentiles coming together as one. The whole message of the gospel is to move toward unity and oneness of those who follow Jesus Christ, not to the separation and the division that we see through CRT. That's exactly right. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul says, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh in terms of seeing fellow Christians as family members. And you recognize that in Galatians three twenty-seven and 28, the same man, the Apostle Paul, uh, teaches that there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free. Uh, all are one in Christ. Paul doesn't mean there that uh, now we're Teletubbies without, you know, a male identity or a female identity or something like this. He doesn't mean that you don't have a Jewish background or a Gentile background, per se. He does mean that what is most important about you is that you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And now in joining a local church, as you talked about a little bit ago, you are members of the body of Christ in local form and universal form. And so you're united to everybody who is in Christ, whether they look like you or not, talk like you or not, have the same background you do. That becomes your identity in Christ. Yes. That's that the opposite. Identity. That's the opposite of what critical race theory is teaching and promoting. Is it not? It is the dead level opposite. It teaches you that your most important feature and trait is your skin color and thus the background from which you come. And we believe that God has given us different pigmentation. We believe that God has given us a background, and even an ethnicity that is a biblical category. And so we're not scared of that. But that is not at all what is most important about us. The Christian faith emphasizes we have gospel unity in Christ, and that is really the truth of truths when it comes to who we are. As I was afraid of, this time is going to go by so quickly. But we're we're almost up against a break, but start, and we'll, we'll have to finish in the other segment. But What about the concepts, the biblical concepts of sin and grace? How does that line up with CRT? Basically, you're especially problematic or, or to use our language, sinful, if you are of a privileged background, if you have white privilege, uh, if you're a white person, because you're benefiting from this power dynamic of whiteness. And so this is effectively a system that makes white people even worse than other people are. And that means that white people have more sin to confess 
less in being a Christian than they know about because they're they're even unconsciously benefiting from a system of white supremacy at every given moment, whether they're an unbeliever or a believer, even in coming to Christ, they, they still have all this participation in, in sinful racism. And so that means that the gospel takes on a new form that is really not a biblical form. There's more to say, but this is extremely problematic for sin and grace. Well, I, I want to I come back to that on the side of forgiveness and grace because the gospel provides that. It provides forgiveness It provi- through the grace that comes through Jesus Christ. That's not what CRT promotes. So we're going to talk about that on the other side of the break. Folks, Owen Strand, my guest, uh, discussing wokeism and CRT. We're going to continue that conversation next. Don't go away. Stay informed with what's going on in our nation's capital, make a difference in your community, and keep your friends and family up to date with Family Research Council's Stand Firm mobile app. This tool serves to bring Christians across America together in advancing faith, family, and freedom. With the Stand Firm app, you will have all our content available at your fingertips and will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download FRC's Stand Firm app, or by going to frc.org slash app. In the season our nation is in, it is necessary for Christians to pray, to stand for truth, and to, above all things, seek after the Lord. Every Wednesday, FRC and FRC Action President Tony Perkins hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ to focus our attention on the Lord first and in every aspect of our lives. The purpose of this is to help equip you to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth in the midst of a confusing time in our culture. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christians for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog that's being created by the biased lenses of the mainstream media. This year, let's commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. To watch the Pray Vote Stand weekly broadcast, visit prayvotestand.org. That's prayvotestand.org. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to a special holiday edition of Washington Watch. I'm so glad you are with us, hoping you are enjoying time with family and friends. One of my favorite times of year, um, but grateful that you've taken time to join us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. I am uh, joined in today's program with uh, Owen Strand, professor at uh, Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. He's the author of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. And that is our conversation today. All right, Owen, on the the other side of the break, uh, before we we, uh, went to the break, we were talking about what the Bible has to say about uh, sin and how CRT deals with that. And some sinners are extra sinners because of their uh, skin pigmentation uh, under CRT. But I really want to deal with the issue of grace because 
that's what sets, I think, sets it apart the most, is that under a biblical worldview, under the teachings of Jesus Christ, we can receive forgiveness of our sins, and our sins are gone as far as the East is from the West. And there's another component of that that you might want to touch upon, is that under biblical teaching, uh, the sons are not held guilty for the sins of the father. Now, there are consequences that flow from the sins of the father, but not the, the judicial guilt that follows it. So address how biblical, a biblical idea of grace lines up with what CRT is promoting. Well, CRT is really grace squelching material. That's what it does. It's not fundamentally a grace driven system. It's a condemnation driven system. CRT teaches in particular for those who benefit from whiteness that they are especially guilty. And in fact, according to Ibram X. Kendi and others, Beverly, uh, uh, different voices out there we could name, uh, you'll never overcome your sins. You'll never overcome your participation in a racist power structure. You can only uh, become an anti-racist, according to Kendi. You can only, in other words, become someone who fights against your inborn privileges. So what this does is it leaves people trapped in unending cycles of guilt. It, it, it leaves you outside of grace. There is no divine figure in this system. There is no God in wokeness who forgives you. Instead, there are only people who stand above you as high priests of critical race theory and lecture you according to their sociology texts and, and condemn you. They condemn you ever lastingly and what we offer in in christian preaching and teaching is altogether different than this it is antithetical to what i have just said we offer the amazing news that yes your sins are plenteous you have sinned against heaven and earth you have offended a holy god and yet you can be washed clean by trusting in christ uh, believing in his death and his resurrection for your sin so these two systems are polar opposites uh, even if you become a christian according to wokeness you're never going to outrun your whiteness and so uh, it is imperative that people listening to this, in particular those who are in ministry or teaching the Bible to people at a local church or something like this, understand this system comes to us oftentimes in a kind of soft form. Oh, you can blend your Christianity with wokeness. It'll be great. In reality, these are, again, antithetical systems, and you cannot blend them because wokeness will devour the forgiving grace that Christianity offers. Speak about this, the other concept that I mentioned that, you know, Ezekiel 1820 uh, mm. talks about how, um, you know, we are not to pass on the judicial guilt of the sins from the fathers to uh, the, the sons. Uh, you know, I, I see that as standing in, in stark contrast to the message of the critical race theory. It is, again, antithetical because Ezekiel 18, 19 and 20 teaches directly that the son is not responsible for the father's crimes, nor the father responsible for the son's crimes. And so where wokeness as an ideology goes is it calls on a given society and country to enact uh, a very elaborate system of what are called reparations. So those who have been wronged uh, in terms of their ancestors in the past uh, should have those wrongs righted by a kind of complex reparational scheme that involves, includes 
the payment of money to those, for example, who are descendants of slaves. And we recognize that uh, sin is terrible. We recognize that there are real failings in the American past, that slavery and Jim Crow, for example, are evil. Uh, we also recognize, however, that the Bible gives us no kind of reparational scheme as the means by which to make things right. I am not guilty, Tony, for what my seventh great grandfather did. I'll be honest with you here in public. I don't even know his name. Uh, so I don't know his name, let alone how the man lived. And I'm not guilty for his crimes. That doesn't mean I'm not honest about past failings in my own family or certainly in America beyond or my church or tradition. It does mean that what is being sold to us as the means by which America can heal uh, over its past uh, racial divide is actually not at all a means of healing, reparations, that is. It is a means of further division because it's holding people uh, guilty that God himself does not hold guilty. That is a minor problem to mention. All right. You hear that music? That means we're up against another one of those breaks. But I, I, I want to finish that thought when we come back because I, I want to talk a little bit about how on one hand, they say it's not personal, it's systemic, but yet we're personally responsible for it. So I, I don't see how that those two ideas are rectified under CRT. But then I want to talk about the economic implications. But then I want to get into, as Christians, how do we identify it? How do we expose it? And how do we defend against it? Because it has both implications for our families, for the church, for the community as a whole. Folks, you're listening to a special edition of Washington Watch. Don't go away. We're coming back with more with Professor Owen Strand right after this. Don't go away. God is the author of life and has created man in his image. Therefore, we must respect the inherent dignity of every human life from conception until natural death. That is why Family Research Council works to pass laws that protect the unborn. To keep you informed on this issue, FRC has created online maps that illustrate progress in each state on key pro-life laws. That way, you can know where your state stands on protecting unborn babies. Check out our pro-life maps at frc.org slash pro-life maps. Hi, my name is Hannah. I'm serving as an intern here at Family Research Council, and it's been a life-changing experience. Interns join FRC's team of experts as they embark upon a mission of advancing faith, family and freedom in public policy and the culture from a biblical worldview. The FRC internship is a 12 to 15 week program designed to educate university students who are passionate about public service and who believe that a biblical worldview is fundamental to the reformation of government and culture. Interns receive the opportunity to work alongside and be personally and professionally developed by FRC's team of experts. This paid internship offers free housing in the heart of D.C., which allows students to be fully immersed in the fast-paced political climate and to build a community with other faithful conservatives in the nation's capital. For more information and to apply, visit frc.org internships. That's frc.org internships. Stay informed with Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With the Stand Firm app, you will have all our content available at your fingertips and will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. You will have access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. 
Search Stand Firm on your mobile device to download FRC's Stand Firm app. We often hear that religious liberty is something we must protect. But what is it? Simply put, it is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. So, why should people care about protecting religious liberty, both domestically and internationally? At Family Research Council, we believe that fighting for religious liberty is essential because it is an inherent human right that all governments have a responsibility to protect. Unfortunately, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a terrible reality around the world, yet so often the media turns a blind eye while attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. As Christians, we look to Scripture as our authority, and in it we have a clear calling from God to pray and care for the persecuted. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. Learn more about what you can do to help the persecuted by accessing Family Research Council's latest resources on religious liberty at frc.org slash religious liberty. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and this is a special holiday edition of Washington Watch. Therefore, if you're watching on TV, you see I have no tie. That's because it's the holidays. I leave my ties at home. Uh, if you're uh, just joining us, this is uh, focused on the issue of critical race theory, wokeism in America, in the church even. And how do we as believers, how do we identify it, how do we expose it, and how do we defend against us? Uh, joining us for this conversation is uh, Owen Strand, Senior Fellow at the Center for Biblical Worldview. He is also Professor of Theology at Grace Bible Theological Seminary in Conway, Arkansas. He is the author of Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It. Okay, Owen, before the break, we were talking about this, uh, you know, this idea that we're personally responsible for something that happened before. Now, um, I want to go back to the earlier definition that we used that I borrowed from the New York Times, certainly not a conservative uh, mouthpiece, saying the theory says that racism is a systemic problem, not a matter of individual bigotry. So it is systemic. Now, we've made many, many changes in our system of government to address these issues. And that brings up an issue in and of itself. How do, how do they continue to argue that there is systemic racism in this country when we've had a a, a, a president of color, I'm going to use that term, you can use that term, president of color, a vice president of color, we've got members of the Senate, we've got members in the House, uh, we've got corporate America, I mean, in, in every realm. In fact, many of these same individuals that are promoting these ideas have benefited from our capitalist system and are living very lavish lifestyles uh, a, a, as a result of the American system that they denounce. So, I know that was a lot. But let's let's talk about the systemic versus personal. So if it's systemic, why are we personally held accountable for this? That's it. Let's go home. That is a tremendous point uh, in all seriousness. Um, this system has it both ways would be the quick answer, Tony. Um, racism is, is systemic, meaning it's basically everywhere. And yet um, rarely in critical race theory and woke discussions, do you have anyone directly indicted? And that is part of the magical fantasy that is Marxism. Uh, with Marxism and neo-Marxism uh, of the current time, uh, you don't really have to have definable policies and discrete laws that are creating 
uh, evil conditions. We recognize that in the American past, for example, there were different laws and policies that allowed, for example, slavery to flourish. We have a biblical basis from many texts for understanding that such laws and policies are wrong. So sin can go public. It can take governmental form, political form, whatever term you want to use. But that is not the same thing. It might seem to be. That is not the same thing as arguing what neo-Marxism argues, that our order is systemically racist. Basically, that ends up meaning that racism is everywhere and in everything. And if you read Robin D'Angelo, for example, you will see that she believes that white people truly do transmit racism, racial privilege in every interaction. They cannot help but do it. So here's the, the real root of the problem. There's so many things to say here, Tony. But the root of the problem is this. If racism is everywhere, it's nowhere. And that's what we have. Uh, with critical race theory, wokeness, and intersectionality. We have a problem that is so big that, A, it's usually undefined, and, B, no one can solve it except for indicting white people endlessly. Kind of reminds me of the the book Pigs in the Parlor. There's a demon behind every bush. I mean, there's racism everywhere. Um, Every problem is defined as a problem of of racism. So, uh, okay, I I, want to there's one point you made in your book, which I thought was very helpful in this. uh, And then I want to get on to the issue of how we as Christians identify, uh, we expose and defend against this. But it it, it deals with the economic aspects of CRT Mm. that what this was a thought I had. I want to throw this out before I, uh, I move on to that so much. I mean, this is like drinking from a fire hose, but. If, if the whole system is systemically uh, racist, if it's, it's thoroughly throughout, then the only solution, the only solution for them would be to eliminate the system and start over with another system. Mm-hmm. Am I not correct? You are entirely correct. And that is what I think was happening as a test run in America in the summer of 2020. Uh, and I think it's what is transpiring right now in tons and tons of public school classrooms and scores of colleges and universities, um, the youth are being primed for the revolution. And the revolution had an early form last summer. Oh, it was a, it was pent up anger at the lockdowns or difficulty or, you know, uh, sadness over police shootings or these sorts of things. Well, look, there's probably some different elements mixed into the summer of 2020, but fundamentally, I believe what happened is it was a, a, a first launch, a test run, as I say, of the attempted woke revolution overcoming of the existing American order. So what we have in this country is, is very simply this. We have those who do not think that, that American history is perfect or America is a perfect society, but who do believe that this is, in general, a civilization worth defending and passing on. And then you have the other side, the woke side, which is also a, a boisterous co- coalition of many different groups that believes, no, 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 no. Western civilization is not worth defending. Western civilization is the problem. We need to burn it down. That took concrete expression as, you know, firebombs went through glass store windows last summer as in St. Louis the African-American former police chief was murdered uh, as too much rioting and mayhem to even really substantiate and data uh, uh, unfolded. But basically, yes, this is what is happening. Our country is under immense assault. 
as is the church. So let's go. Uh, man, I, there's so much here to cover. I, I, I want to address this one issue on the, the it's CRT suggests capitalism is both responsible for and a beneficiary of slavery. It, you address that in your your book. And, and I want you to quickly do that. But then we, we, we want to move on to. All right. It's in the church. How, how do we identify it and how do we defend against it? So address that issue of, of its attack on capitalism and falsely connecting it to slavery. Yeah, in bite-sized form, Ta-Nehisi Coates and others have argued in the American public square that slavery is really the fever dream of capitalists, that it represents uh, really the nature of capitalism, exploitation of uh, oppressed individuals. And what uh, conservative economists, economists, excuse me, have shown, uh, like Philip Magnus and others, as I point out in my book, is actually that slavery doesn't unleash the free market. It stifles the free market. It's not good to enslave people if you want a, a, a strong economy. It's good to unleash people, to let them use their God-given gifts, traits, and abilities, and not say, you people who look like this, you have to pick cotton. That's all you can do. That is a terrible economic approach, merely if you want a thriving, uh, strong economy. So it's not at all the case. There's a lot to say here, but it's not at all the case that slavery represents what free marketeers like me and ostensibly like you want. Uh, actually, slavery is that which stifled the individual liberty of many people and also stifled the American economy. And so we want uh, a thriving free market in this country. We recognize that the basis of a free market, a free market exchange is found in scripture. There's numerous texts we could go to. I'll leave that there in the interest of time. But fundamentally, uh, wokeness works against itself here. And by the way, a great way to make a really strong living today, Tony, is to be an anti-capitalist capitalist. But I digress. Yeah, and, and we can look at the speaking fees and others that these uh, individuals get, uh, you know, bemoaning capitalism. And uh, But I, I encourage you folks, get the book, Christianity and Wokeness, How the Social Justice Movement is Hijacking the Gospel and the Way to Stop It, because Owen unpacks it a lot more there, and, and it's really interesting as he quotes some of the economic, uh, the, the uh, economists, as they talk about how the South would have actually been a lot stronger in its economy had it not had slavery. Okay, we've got to, we've got to get to this side of it, Owen, before we run out of time again. And that is the issue of the church. This is in the church. It's in the seminaries. And these seeds are being planted. They were planted in the university, they've been planted in the seminaries and now it's popping up all over the place. I think of this when when Paul was writing to Timothy and he says, "Hold fast to my doctrine." And in fact, mm -hmm. and you look at all of Paul's letters, Paul is warning whether it was the Ephesians whether it was the Colossians, whether Timothy, he's, he's warning them to be aware of the deceivers, of the wolves, of the false teachers. And that's what I see CRT as making its way into the church. This is deceptive. It is counter gospel and it is leading people astray. How do we identify it? How do we defend against it? And, uh, and, and how do we expose this? Your point is exactly right. Fundamentally, I think the best and simplest way to identify this scourge that is in the church, wolves are in the camp, 
is to identify the language that preachers and teachers and other individuals use. So if you are hearing, let's just say in the context of local church ministry, a pastor talk a lot about white privilege, white supremacy, systemic racism, equity, and these sorts of concepts, then you are hearing wokeness talking. You would want to have further discussions, hopefully as you're able, to try to, <clears throat> excuse me, get to the root of, of where this is coming from. But if you're hearing those sorts of terms used, and if you're getting this general sense that, yeah, we're, we like individual salvation, but what we're really burdened for today is transforming society. And if you get the sense furthermore that forgiveness, yeah, that's important. God does that. But what we're really focused on is action. Then you are hearing, again, wokeness being presented to you. It may never be packaged in that form. Sadly, lots of churches uh, uh, have have heresies and false ideologies smuggled into them because soft forms of the ideology comes in. And lots of people, for lots of reasons, don't necessarily recognize what's being uh, promoted. But you, if you are a godly man or woman, husband, wife, father, mother, in the context of your local church, in the context of a Christian school, your local public school, the college or university, you're paying good money for your kids to attend, on and on it goes. If you're hearing those kind of terms or if your kids are coming home and they're using those kind of terms and they're using them positively, your alarm bells should be ringing and you should be primed for action. And all of these concepts need to be compared to the teaching of Scripture, the, to biblical truth. And that's, Owen, honestly, the reason I think it's gotten a foothold in the church and in the broader culture is because of our society and the church in particular being biblically illiterate, is that we don't measure these things according to Scripture. And that's why, folks, I want to encourage you to be a part of our two-year journey through the Bible, Stand on the Word. We'll, beginning, we'll be beginning at a new January 1st. But, Owen, oh, I, I think the greatest thing that fathers, mothers, pastors could do is to get their people into the word. Because once you look at what the word of God has to say, you clearly see that the teachings, the theories, and the the promotion of critical race theory and wokeism does not measure up to biblical truth. Yeah, not everybody who watches this broadcast is going to go as deep into the sources as others are. But anyone who has their nose in the word, as you're rightly talking about, is going to sense that some lines are being crossed here that are not sound. So, yes, the great need of the day is for Christian men and women to know their Bible and then from that basis be able to think as a Christian with a Christian worldview. And, and along with that, we do especially need, we can just add this at the end here, we need godly men to step up in the home, the church, and in society in particular and lead out and take arrows, the arrows that are going to come at them uh, on behalf of those who are being preyed upon by wolves that teach this ideology. Those are strong words, but uh, look, the hour is late and the bell is ringing. We just have about a minute or so left. I mean, I, I kind of see this as the 21st century version of the 20th century version of liberal Protestantism, uh, where we, we saw a movement away from the gospel to the social gospel. Um, but I see this as even more dangerous because I see this coming toward the heart of what America is, a heart at what the church is. And 
unless, as you say, we stand up and we call this out for what it is and offer us back, offer back to America the true alternative, which is the truth and the gospel, uh, I fear for our country. Well, I do, too. So, look, as Christians, it is it is all of us to the wall. It's all of us to the wall in terms of the local church. And then, as we've talked about elsewhere, we care about our civilization. We seek the good of the city in which we are. We love our neighbor. And so it is all hands on deck to switch the metaphor for for Christians to plunge into the public square, into their community, public school, whatever it may be, and take a stand. And as we do so, Tony, a quick word of encouragement. Men and women who aren't Christians will see our courage, born of God's grace, and they'll probably, some of them at least, start to wonder why we're speaking up when when the arrows are flying. So I believe we can actually have an evangelistic impact through this entire conversation. I think you're absolutely right. We saw it in the 20th century when there was the the movement to push back against liberal Protestantism, and I think we can see the same here. And I believe it could lead to a revival which will have the effect of impacting all of society. Owen Strand, thanks so much for being with us. Always great to talk with you. Appreciate the work that you do. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate you. And, folks, I want to encourage you to get a copy of, uh, of Owen's book. It is a great resource of uh, uh, just so you understand what's going on, Christianity and Wokeness, how the social justice movement is hijacking the gospel. And, again, Join our two-year journey through the Bible. Stand on the Word. Be in the Word of God. All right? Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words from the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says, When you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, prepared, and taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.